After my conversation with Sarah Oscar about AI art, I decided to dive further down the rabbit hole of AI creativity. Music is closer to my heart because I am a musician. I've been playing saxophone for over 10 years. I've even composed my own music. So I decided to challenge my beliefs that only humans can create music and play music and sort out those who are pushing forward with AI musicians. Dr. Richard Savory is a fellow saxophonist and a Macquarie University Research Fellow in the Department of Media, Communications, Creative Arts and Literature. He has developed a singing, rapping, marimba playing robot that has performed in front of crowds, alongside ensembles and can even improvise. In fact, you can hear his robot Shimon playing now with the Ahas Jazz Orchestra. Shimon is on marimba. I spoke with Richard about performing robots, their place alongside human musicians, and the nature of artificial creativity. Uh, so I'm at MQRF. I started at Macquarie this year, mm -hmm. actually. And my main goal is to build a new robotic musician. So I'm building a robot that plays drums and then also raps with people. But a really big part is working with people. So it doesn't play drums by itself. It plays with other musicians and interacts back and forth. So what would be the difference between a solo uh, robotic drummer and, a, and one that works in an, in an ensemble? Yeah, so I mean, it would work solo. The thing for me, the really interesting part of AI and robots is how humans interact with them. So AI systems on their own doesn't really excite me as much anymore as seeing how a human musician comes in when they play with a drummer, which is much more exciting than a robot playing fast or something like that. Like I've worked with robots in the past that can play way faster than humans and stuff. And you watch it on stage, you're like, it's a cool thing. But for me, I'm really interested in how a human will interact and what a human thinks when they play with a robot. Sure. What are the challenges that you encountered so far in creating uh, a robot that can be musical? One of the big challenges with this whole field is that there's a million different elements. So there's a robot, so there's mechanical engineering, there's computer science, there's a programming. And then after you go through all this like technical stuff, you end up at the actual music part. And so the musical challenges are, there's many. I mean, so the idea of how it can be creative and how it can learn. But yeah, the big musical challenge, I think, is working out how it can be like expressive and not play like a robot. How have you found ways to iron out that sort of roboticness? Yeah, so a big thing is thinking of uh, what, what it can learn from humans, so how humans are expressive. So if you think of like a computer system, how it stores audio, for example, or like MIDI, which is like a representation of audio like between 0 and 127, it's very quantized. And so thinking how can a robot store its audio and store music in a way that's not like quantized down the same way it is. And so one of the big things I look at is thinking of different representations within the robot and ways it can try and understand things that aren't just like a MIDI or things like that. You've also done some work with improvisation. So I think that's an interesting, I really found it an interesting aspect of it. So improvisation is kind of, it's very expressive, free-flowing. There's no real, and there's, there's the things that you plan ahead, but you don't really have anything written. How do you have a robot that can improvise in a way that is similar to a way that a human improvises. Yeah, so improvisation is really interesting to me. I mean, my, I started as a jazz improviser, and I still am, so that was a, it's really a challenge to put that on a robot. I do think there's lots of rules with improvisation. It's not as free as sometimes it can appear. Mm. Uh, like someone I studied with used to say, like, a, a first rule is you can't light the other performance on fire. Like, there's these boundaries that you, everyone stays within. And then it narrows down. There's things like a chord progression that you have to follow. And so within a chord progression, there's kind of specific rules and specific things. So improvisation is a hugely broad term, but really you end up looking at like a specific type of improvisation, like jazz. And then within jazz, you'll narrow it down to a type of jazz. And so that's really the big thing to identify how it can improvise and what type of style it's addressing, and then try narrowing on the sort of boundaries within that. 
And so the ways you can then have the system and the robot learn on these boundaries is either by looking at a whole lot of data. So like I could look at every Chalipaka solo and then work out what Chalipaka does. Or the other way that is sometimes they work on is just having a set of rules. So if you have a C major, playing Cs is pretty good. And playing uh, F sharp might work sometimes, F sharp 4, but really thinking about when to use that. So I'm really trying to look at the boundaries of the improvisational style and then working from there. If a, if a, if a robot was to produce its own improvisational solo mm-hmm. um, playing in, a, in an ensemble, who does the, does the copyright go to? Yeah, that is a really challenging question that uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think at the moment it's actually vague legally. So it's really just kind of a question of what makes sense. And again, I don't actually know what does make sense. I'm not like really ready to stake a claim. So if it's trained on Charlie Parker, maybe Charlie Parker should own some of that work. But at the same time, a saxophone player who spent all their time studying and playing Charlie Parker, what they play then isn't owned by Charlie Parker. So there's this difference between being inspired and where copyright lays. Music and copyright itself is very um, honestly confusing to me. It's yeah. hard, to, hard to draw the boundaries. <laughs> but outside of your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. I mean, something I think about, but I also like the boundaries are so, um, so weird. Like African-American music is pretty traditionally screwed over by copyright laws, which really like, like in America, it strongly preferences things like uh, melody, which is not present necessarily in things like hip hop and jazz as much, whereas chord progression. So there's all these weird hangouts with copyright that uh, I think the challenges are before AI, actually, honestly, that need to be solved. And so looking at AI and copyright is kind of like a huge extra step as well. So say a few years down the line, we have an, uh, an AI musician who can um, produce and write their own music. Where do you count? Where would you count that robot? Would you count that among other artists in the in the same genre? Or would you would you include the programmer in that as well? I think I mean the programmer is a big part of it for sure. I think it's kind of a, a separate classification to humans. So any system I make is going to have a whole lot of my decisions embedded into it. Like I decide what type of music, I decide the data sets, I decide the software, I decide how it can play physically. There's so many decisions that go on to that. And so the idea of it being like its own embodied self, where it's the artist, I mean, I would say it is the artist, but like from a legal standpoint, I don't really think it is really copying on. But it comes back, like you can think of the composition as well. Like I kind of see myself as a composer in a sense, and I'm composing the software that goes on the robot and then the robot's performing it. If that like kind of boundary makes sense at all so you just came back from a trip to greece where you did some performances yeah yeah you tell me about that uh yes i was performing in athens at the megaron there with uh dimitri and some people from georgia tech i used to work with it was pretty fun we did a we did a set of music we tried to when i do a performance like that try and showcase a bunch of different things so we had the robot improvising a couple pieces like some jazz improvisations and then also some songs that's written where it sings the lyrics and uh performs like that back and forth. So it's kind of like this varied set of uh, improvising lyrics generated and then singing itself and then a range of ideas. It's also always, always really interesting to see how uh, people receive it, which is generally positive. We had, we had some problems actually. Part of the robot didn't arrive in time. <laughs> it arrived like two days after I left. Right. So actually it wasn't able, so normally the robot we're working there with, uh, it sings and it raps and it plays marimba, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't have any arms. So it, didn't, it couldn't actually play marimba there. So it was just like singing and pretending to play marimba with like audio playback. And that, that was really interesting, actually. One of the huge learnings was that people didn't care, didn't care that much about the marimba not playing. People really liked the, uh, the face and the singing. And that, that to them was like kind of the important part of the robot, which is interesting from a musical perspective because you kind of think there's not actually playing marimba. 
that's like the cool part musically. But just having that agent on stage is really important. Which is one of the big things why I think robots are so interesting beyond like just AI and music. That really that embodied and being on stage and being a presence changes how people hear and listen to music. So how does this robot have a stage presence? So the one that was in uh, Greece has like it has a face and it has an eye, and it can dance about on uh, its head, move around. And so it's similar. The one I'm developing here also is on wheels, so it can move around. It has a face and body and like an eye and a speaker on its mouth, and then it, ha- it can breathe in and out as well. And so it's got this real presence on stage where it's like, or even in a room, you walk into a room and the parent knows, so it's like an agent or someone there. And that that's really crucial to me, this idea that it is something that you come and interact with. Not a piece of software, but like an actual physical agent of some kind. Uh, just going back to the rapping, so you yeah. said it sings and raps. Um, did you train it on any specific artists or just a broad spectrum of, of, of artists in the genre? Yeah, so uh, I'll talk about what I'm doing now. That rap, Robot Raps, but also Macquarie, I'm developing a new rapping voice. And so I'm still on the fence, honestly. Like, I'd love to work with someone. So right here, I'm building it on rapping on just a whole lot of artists. But that, that is kind of problematic to me, really, this idea of just training on random people who have no say in whether I'm using their voice and training on it, even though it won't sound like them and it would never, they'd never know. I'm really just in using data sets for people that do know. We're working with a couple of people who let me use their voice as part of the training process. So yeah, in that system was training on a whole lot of, just a huge collection of data, about 10,000 songs. And so I train on the lyrics and generate the lyrics. And then there's a separate process to train on the voice and then use those lyrics on the voice to create the voice. So there's a freestyle? Yeah, it does freestyle. Yeah, there's examples on my website of stuff of it freestyling and interacting. The whole thing, again, I think, like I said at the start, I'm really interested in humans interacting. So it doesn't really rap by itself. It will have a rapper come in and rap with it and then rap back and forth. And so I've done that with a bunch of people. There was an Atlanta rapper I worked with a lot where we kind of we have lots of practice sessions where we work out what the robot should say and not say. I mean, there's so many challenges with it. But yeah, it was all about kind of the battle rapping Technically, technically, it has a Guinness World Record for the first robot rap battle. So it is like <laughs> a rap battle in robot. You train like insults into it to the rap battle. Yeah, you know, it's kind of against my nature to have these insults in it. So it was a very like tame, <laughs> tame, friendly back and forth. It's quite friendly. Ended up being, uh, yeah, a friendly one. Also, like in a university setting, like there's lots of hip hop things that shouldn't be said. So working out how to balance that and take that out of what was being said by a robot was. An interesting challenge. So it ends up kind of being like a PC nicer version. Oh, it's, it's still a little insulting, but not like... Not harsh. Yeah, not harsh. And not like rude. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, have you... How, how much of an ensemble do you think you could make with, like, you know, combining humans or robots and interacting? Could you, could you see a whole orchestra or a whole uh, big band coming together playing uh, robots and humans? Yeah, I'd love to do a big band. I mean, we're talking about saxophone before, so I'm a saxophone. I come from jazz area. I did a performance in the past with the big band and the robot over there. So it was all human big band and then the robot playing. And it was really fun. It was interesting seeing how that works in a huge, like, a big dynamic. So I think large ensembles are certainly possible. I mean, orchestra and single robot, or, like, multiple robots and multiple humans. Again, that's really exciting, but I've become really interested in having something that's portable in yeah. the sense that like I can actually travel with and doesn't cost 20000 to travel with. Or... So one robot at the moment is kind of my focus. But I do imagine building out into a larger group. Are you working on a, on a saxophone rock playing robot? No. No, I made, a, I made a robot before that plays recorder because not to install recorder players, but I think the office is a little easier for recorder than saxophone. 
And uh, it's fun. The thing, again, for me was like, I'm not a mechanical engineer by any sense. And that's really entering the world of mechanical problems. Things like the breath control and the pump and the embouchure, they're all much... They're not something I could actually do to be, real, be realistic. They're not, that's not really in my wheelhouse. So I'd like to collaborate with someone on that sort of thing. But I'm much more interested in, again, not to install drums, but more these simple mechanisms like hitting a drum, things that can be done repeatedly and fairly easily mechanically, and then using that to interact with people back and forth. Would you call uh, your robots creative? I would say what they make is creative. For me, creative is such like a... I'm much more open about the term creative, I think, than some people. For me, everyone's creative every day, and everyone could be creative anytime. Uh, like the way you draw a painting, and if you have no skills, it's still a creative act, and you're still being creative. It's not that you have to be Picasso or something to be defined as creative. And so I think like a robot playing music is a creative act in itself, and it is being creative. Yeah, so I really think creative is this huge thing. It's not like... A few sub, a small subset of the world can be creative. I think everyone can be creative. Mm. And so a robot can well be creative as well. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SCI Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Cameron Furlong. Thanks for listening.